Pirates hanging half a hundred on them at Owen Field. Or the run rules on the Diamond at Love's Field. We're giving you the breakdowns, the bets, and the hot takes from the perspective of two former OU Athletics employees. You're listening to the Mainline Podcast with Tyler Burton and Adam Jaquez. Let's go! Let's go! 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 Let's go. It's the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam, joined as always by Tyler Burton. Tyler, it's season four of the Mainline Podcast. Can you believe it? I cannot believe it, Adam. You know, we've kind of come a long way. Season four doing this podcast. You put that tweet out yesterday. It's kind of it's kind of fun to sit back and reminisce kind of how far we've come. You know, two guys sitting around a kitchen table with an iPhone recording in the middle. Uh, but, yeah, man, things are good. It's been 243 days since Oklahoma walked off the field in Orlando after losing to Florida State. And we can finally say for the first time in 2023, it's game week. The best time of the year is finally here. College football is back on the TV every weekend for the next four months. I'm fired up about it. Can't wait to, uh, can't wait to talk some ball. And uh, let's dive into it, man. Yeah, we got a ton to cover today. So let's go ahead and dive right in. A lot of recruiting news, of course, going on with David Stone committing, Andy Bass committing, Eli Bowen committing. I don't think we'll spend a lot of time here, but OU has a great week on the recruiting trail since last time we spoke. And a lot of targets here in their sights that could uh, all fall in OU's lap over the next couple of weeks or so. Yeah, it was a fantastic, you know, last seven to 10 days for, for the Oklahoma Sooners, Brent Venables and the staff, you know, locking down three commitments, um, one of which, you know, just we, we've got to start with the big guy uh, in David Stone, the IMG product here locally from OKC. And, you know, Adam, any time that you're mentioned in the same category as a Tommy Harris or a Gerald McCoy, you're doing something right. And when you talk about David Stone, what this guy uh, what this program is getting is a guy that really comes in and has the opportunity to transform the way that Oklahoma looks nationally uh, in terms of the defensive line play. He's that good. He's the number one overall defensive lineman in the country. And anytime that you can lock down a kid, especially, you know, that's from your own state, but also a kid that was competing, you know, with the likes of uh, you're competing with uh, um, Florida, you're competing with Miami, you're competing with Mississippi State, Texas A&M, you're clearly doing something right. This was a big piece uh, that Todd Bates had to get, and there was really no alternative to it. Um, it kind of seems like the uh, the fan base, you know, would have been at the gates, you know, uh, with the torches in hand. But yeah, this is a big time get for Oklahoma. And now we just got to close it out here in a couple months, National Signing Day. But having David Stone as a part of your recruiting class, it bodes well for Todd Bates uh, and what we're able to do with maybe some other defensive linemen uh, in the class in 2024. Yeah, we've all been talking until we're blue in the face about David Stone over the last year or so, really. But even the last five days, as his commitment comes down, everyone talks about, you know, is this the biggest commit since Tommy Harris, since Gerald McCoy, since Adrian Peterson, mm-hmm. a lot of big names out there. But um, certainly, certainly up there. And what the crazy part is, is that OU has a chance by this Friday before their first game even to get another five-star defensive tackle and maybe even, well, I don't want to say there's anything that like leads us to believe that Williams Winery would, would flip, but OU could potentially top that commitment you know, if things develop over time with Williams Winery. That, that flip possibility is, is always out there, although there's nothing that tells us that that's a real chance as of right now, but we know OU's not giving up there. So... Dominic McKinley, kind of the the talk of the town so far today. Things changing pretty rapidly there. And we'll talk a little bit more about maybe some ways that OU fans can uh, get a little bit more in the know about Dominic McKinley here in a second. But sounds like OU's potentially making a move there. Making a move down the closing stretch. You know, ultimately, uh, Dominic McKinley, you know, the uh, number one player in the state of Louisiana, you know, five-star defensive lineman. He's going to be set to commit on Friday afternoon. And, you know, it kind of felt like Adam for the longest time, um, Oklahoma was sort of out out of the picture, but, you know, it really is crazy. Five-star defensive linemen, the twists and turns that happen in these types of recruitments. A couple months ago, Oklahoma was in good position. Then as we kind of moved throughout the summer, it almost kind of felt like OU was the odd man out behind Texas or Ohio State. And now kind of uh, fast forward uh, to here, as we said, on August 29th, it kind of feels like it's a a two- or three-man race between Oklahoma, Texas, and Texas A&M. So, um, sounds like Todd Bates in Oklahoma, they're continuing to press the right buttons, especially with the family. And it's just a matter of right now if Oklahoma can use these last 72 hours uh, to close things out with Dominic McKinley. 
There's a couple of other guys that are going to be on campus this weekend uh, for their official visits. You've got uh, Daniel Akinkumi. I'm not sure how to say his last name exactly. The offensive tackle from Mm -hmm. London, of all places. You've got Daniel Koye making his way down the turnpike, another big defensive end prospect that he really needs to close on. Uh, You've got Michael Boganowski coming down from Junction City, Kansas. So some big names there. And uh, we've talked a lot about Danny uh, in the past, so I probably won't focus as much time on Okoye here. But Mm -hmm. Michael Boganowski, a guy that it's kind of like Grant Bricks, a very similar situations of guys that are closer to, you know, a certain program that OU's going up against. In this case, it's Kansas State for Michael Boganowski. It's kind of the easy choice to go to K-State. OU is kind of the hard choice because you have to tell everyone around you that's a K-State fan that you're not going to be a wildcat um, but this one just keeps dragging out. It's it's like everyone keeps saying, hey, the longer this goes, the longer it goes for Grant Bricks, kind of the same thing of, well, that bodes worse for OU, but yet it continues to drag out and continues to drag out. Do you think OU is able to shut the door here for Michael Boganowski? Well, I would certainly hope so. And you almost have to kind of wonder, Adam, because Michael Boganowski has been on campus so many times, what really more is there that Oklahoma can show this kid outside of, okay, it's a game day atmosphere. We're kicking off the 2023 season. We're hoping, and you know, this is something that we'll dive into here in a minute with Arkansas State, but if you can go out, you can go out there and you can see some really good play from a Billy Bowman or a Reggie Pearson or a Peyton Bowen, a true freshman, then you're able to, you know, even sh- make a stronger case to Michael Boganowski on why Oklahoma should be the place for you moving forward to play your collegiate football. Um, but it's a very similar thing between he and Grant Bricks. You know, it's, it's almost kind of a situation where they're fighting the battle between do I make the smart decision going with my head or do I follow my heart and, you know, truly go where, you know, me and my family want. So uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun to follow. You would kind of hope at this point, um, you know, in the year that Oklahoma would have been able to at least get an answer from, from both of these guys. We'll see how that continues to play out uh, as we move throughout the first part of the, uh, the football season. I'm sure next week we'll be talking about Nigel Smith. And if you missed last week's podcast with captain mm-hmm. four or five, go back. There's some good Intel there on, on how that's lining up, but it sounds like OU is going to be the pick there. So kind of quiet, low drama there, but uh, we'll take it. Uh, kind of like Eli Bowen uh, last week, just picking OU randomly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, hey, it's done. No need to make a special announcement or do a fancy video or anything like that. Just make the decision. And I feel like that's potentially how Grant Bricks might announce at some point because mm-hmm. dude is not existent on social media in a lot of ways. He has the accounts, but they're not really being utilized there. So um, kind of like that. I think he's perfect for, for Bill, Bill Bean Bow in that sense. Sure. And I do want to touch on the two other commitments that Oklahoma got. I know it's been talked a lot about, but you know, we, we do need to touch on these two guys, Eli Bowen. Yes. Younger brother of five-star true freshman safety, Pate Bowen that's currently on campus right now. Oklahoma was able to get the commitment from the Denton guy, uh, defensive back last week. And I know a lot of people have th- are, th- are, you know, going around saying, okay, well, this is just kind of one of those deals that helped us land Peyton. Uh, but, you know, you go back and you look at this kid's film. I mean, this kid is one of the most talented defensive backs all across the state of Texas, playing at an elite program right now. He's already the uh, interceptions leader, uh, you know, just coming into his senior season for Denton Geyer. And that's, you know, that when you're playing 6A uh, high school football in the state of Texas, that's saying something. And then I know a lot of people look at him, you know, he's a 5'9", 5'10 guy. So maybe that's a little bit off-putting to certain fans. But Let's not forget, Adam, Travius uh, Hodges Tomlinson from TCU won the Thorpe Award last year, five foot nine, 180 pounds. So size isn't always an indicator of how good a defensive back can be once he's, you know, reaches the collegiate level. And then you got to touch on Andy Bass, you know, the Heritage, Heritage Hall kid. Seems like that's a program that just continues to be good for Oklahoma, obviously with Sterling Shepard, Gavin Freeman, Andy Bass is just the next guy uh, in that, you know, that long line, kind of that pipeline that Oklahoma's building out of Heritage Hall. You know, really good guy, six foot about 200 pounds you know plays quarterback uh, for his high school team it's going to be a lot of fun once he gets on campus a lot of the different things that Jeff Levy is going to be able to do with this kid because you know he's a 10-4-10-5 guy he you know like I said he has the ability to throw the football what side of the ball does he play on it's going to be a lot of fun to watch how this coaching staff utilizes this kid and you know kind of like what you talked about Adam going into this upcoming weekend this is a big this is a big one, you know, especially for Bill Beanbow and Miguel Chavis. You get Danny Okoye back on campus, number one player in the state of Oklahoma, four-star edge guy. It kind of feels like it's a Tennessee, Texas, Oklahoma battle right now. He's going to be back on campus this upcoming weekend. So you know that Chavis and the rest of the staff is going to be putting on the full court press to try and lock this kid up. And then I think you did a pretty good job pronouncing this kid's name, Daniel Akinkunmi. 
uh, six foot five, three hundred ten pound offensive lineman out of the NFL Academy of London. He's played both interior and out at the uh, the tackle position in high school. Clemson, Miami, and Baylor are the other teams vying for this kid's services. But one thing that should give Oklahoma fans confidence, Steve Wiltfong recently put in a crystal ball for this kid to land with Oklahoma within the last 24 to 48 hours. So we'll see if Coach Bill uh, Bill Beanball can't uh, close it out this upcoming weekend. Yeah, I was just thinking as you were mentioning uh, Danny Okoye being on campus this weekend, and I'm sure Miguel Chavis would love to say, hey, we just got another five-star and Dominic McKinley committed here on Friday. You know what's stopping you from being a part of this mm-hmm. this defensive line class, and obviously, uh, some people may listen to this podcast after he commits, wherever it might be. But um, but yeah, that would be a, a major feather or a major, uh, yeah. I guess, arrow in his quiver to shoot. Well, and Adam, I did kind of want to get your thoughts on this because we've kind of been asking the question. You know, why is it so important to have a collection? of elite defensive linemen playing together. And I think that, you know, obviously one of the biggest examples you can make is just look at this past weekend, USC playing out there in California. Look at Bear Alexander. He took the NIL bag. He wanted a bigger role. He wanted to play more snaps. And he got that at USC. But he also found out on Saturday what it's going to be like for him this entire season, getting double teamed every single play. He didn't have to worry about that at Georgia because he was surrounded by other elite defensive linemen, future Sunday NFL uh, type players. And that's the whole point. I think with Oklahoma's recruiting pitch to these guys, sure. You can go be the guy at places like Missouri or Miami or Michigan state, but elite players want to play with elite players. And that's what Todd Bates and Brent Venables are selling stone, Okoye, Smith, McKinley, maybe a Williams one Aries. We get a little bit closer to signing day. You put a group like that together with our Mason Thomas, PJ, Grayson Halton, and you're going to have a ton of opportunities moving forward to make plays because the unit is going to be so good as a whole that opponents are not going to have the ability. They're not going to be able to afford to double team anyone across the board. So Oklahoma's, you know, they're pushing all the right buttons right now. Um, they've, you know, they've got a good product to sell and that product pitch is only going to get better uh, as we go throughout the course of the season, if Oklahoma can show progression on the defensive side of the football. 100%. I, I saw the rabbit hole opening there for the USC conversation. I'm going to ignore that because we do have to talk about the depth chart that just came out sure. today for OU. Um, a lot of, uh, I guess, not surprises, a lot of things that we kind of expected to see there. But um, what stood out to you from the the depth chart that was released? I think the two guys that stuck out for me and, you know, two really good stories that I hope Oklahoma fans, you know, truly appreciate some of the things that are going on right now. First off for me is, is Tawi Walker. Um, you know, a guy that is a walk-on right now. And, you know, we've got such a solid stable of running backs, you know, right now, which Avante Barnes, Gavin Solchuk, Marcus Major going on his ninth year in Norman. Um, and you've got Marcus Major and Tawi Walker, you know, kind of 1A, 1B uh, on the first depth chart of the season, you know, the two first guys that will be trotting out there. So I think that's a really good story, and it just kind of goes back to – if you have an opportunity to make plays, if you have an opportunity, you know, to bust your ass and work hard over the course of fall camp and through some of the scrimmages, your your efforts are going to be rewarded, and it's clear that that's what's happened with these two guys. And then, you know, another one for me, Adam, it's the biggest question that I had as far as the defensive side goes is who was going to lock down that, you know, second corner spot opposite of Woody Washington. And we've heard a lot of really good things about Macari Vickers, about Josiah Wagner. But Gentry Williams, the local product out of the state of Oklahoma, getting the nod uh, to be the starting corner this upcoming weekend. We've heard a lot of good things about Gentry, the progress he's made over the last 12 to 18 months, particularly in the weight room with Jerry Schmidt. It's nice to see that, you know, all his hard work is being rewarded. And uh, even though he is the starting cornerback right now, it does kind of feel like after hearing from Brent Venables a little bit earlier today, that that is going to be a battle that, you know, kind of goes on through the first part of this season. So very excited to see what uh, what Gentry and Josiah uh, can do this upcoming weekend when uh, Oklahoma squares off against Arkansas State. For me, Brent Venables in his press conference today used the word consistency to describe a lot of different guys on this roster. I tried to keep count of it. I'm sure I missed a few guys, but he mentioned Reggie Pearson. He uh, mentioned uh, Rondell Bothroyd, Justin Harrington, Tawi Walker. He mentioned a lot of guys along that defensive line uh, side of the ball. So there's a lot of guys listed on this depth chart going down to third or fourth string in some scenarios, a lot of oars on there. So that's one thing that I'm going to be watching is what does the consistency look like, Mm -hmm. you know, from – you know, from the starter, from the second string, all the way down to the third string, because we're going to see a lot of playing time on Saturday across the board. So I I think that's something interesting that I'll be keeping an eye on there. Um, Anything else on the depth chart that you wanted to highlight before we move over to our new segment here? 
No, I, I well, I mean, just outside of the the fact, I, I can't remember who it was on social media that kind of put up the the depth chart from a year ago compared to what Oklahoma released a little yeah. bit earlier today, and it was just kind of the size difference, particularly the guys on the defensive line. You know, going into last season, I think we had maybe one guy that was at that 300-pound mark. And now you look at some of the weight gains, some of the transformations that these guys in that room, both you know returning guys but also um, with some of the, uh, the the men that we were able to bring in from the transfer portal, Bothroy, Dejon Terry, you see that Oklahoma is kind of transforming uh, the defensive line in terms of the the caliber of athletes that they want to trot out there onto the field, both in the, you know with their size and stature. So I'm excited to see how that's going to translate this upcoming fall um, and that's something that Brent's talked about a lot is, you know, everything starts up front and especially with where Oklahoma is going, transitioning into the SEC, you've got to have those big guys on the interior and Oklahoma is certainly trending in that direction. Credit to Travis Davidson. He was the one that tweeted yeah, that comparison that's out yeah. Of, of, yeah, the, just the defensive line size difference over the last couple of years. So, well, let's, let's jump into our, our new segment. We've kind of done this in the past. We've called it stock up and stock down in the past. And that's still the basic premise of of this new segment that we're going to do, but uh, we're going to be doing this every week through the uh, beginning of December because we have our first sponsor here at the mainline podcast. You guys are probably familiar with him. If you've been listening over the last couple months or so, uh, we're being sponsored by crimsoncaptain.com. That's the new, one of the new OU sites out there that will give you a lot of really good insider information about recruiting. We kind of talked a little bit about that with Dominic McKinley. We didn't share everything we know because a lot of that is being posted over on crimsoncaptain.com. And there's exclusive Discord access there too. So not only are you reading about it in articles, but you're getting kind of some of the raw edits of that information, which uh, we've had the opportunity to be in that Discord for several months now. And there's some really interesting stuff that uh, is kind of, I guess unfiltered might be the way to put it. So well worth the money that you spend over there. And that's just one third of what they're doing over there. They've also got some really great uh, film breakdowns. I know Captain was throwing some of that out for free on Twitter earlier today. So if you want to sound smart with your friends, being able to discuss what's going on in the field, uh, some really good stuff there. So definitely check out crimsoncaptain.com. It's it's well worth your money. It's linked in our show notes. So um, you can check out uh, everything that he's got. Articles, interviews, all sorts of good content coming out on that site. Absolutely. So we'll dive in again. This is a stock up, stock down, but we're giving a little bit different flavor here. We're calling it uh, who's hoisting the Jolly Roger, that's stock up, and who's walking the plank, obviously, that's stock down. So there's really no rules here. Whatever you want to do, if it's a player, if it's a coach, if it's an idea, if you want to throw me off the plank, I, I looked at the depth chart. I may be walking the plank next week. I may make myself do that. But Tyler, who do you got? Who's hoisting the Jolly Roger here this week? I'm going with the linebacker group as a whole. You know, Brent raved about this group, particularly Jaron Canick today when he was talking about how far they've come from from a year ago where instead of having no depth where we all remember, you know, uh, David Aguebu, Danny Sussman were essentially playing 98% of the snaps all season long. But very different than what we've come to expect this, you know, this upcoming year where they've got good quality depth across the board. Yes, you're going to have Canick, you're going to have Stutzman as your two starting Mike and Will linebackers, but then you've got a plethora of quality depth. Yes, it's a little bit unproven, but if there's one thing that we know, Brent Venables knows what elite linebacker play looks like over the last 30 years of coaching. So you see what Kobe McKenzie, Kip Lewis, Phil Pachotti, um, just to name a few, Lewis Carter kind of throw in there. I'm really excited to watch those guys these first couple of weeks, especially to see how that competitive depth, you know, kind of comes to fruition. We've heard a lot, a lot of good things about it. Some guys have made some really positive strides, you know, both physically, but also mentally as well, learning the playbook, recognizing schemes, being more familiar with what the offense is trying to do to them. And it's going to be a lot of fun over these next couple of weeks to, to see those, uh, you, you know, see four or five, maybe even six guys trot out there and kind of see what Oklahoma has uh, and what that's going to, you know, kind of spell for Oklahoma's future, both this year and uh, the years to come. For my hoisting the Jolly Roger, I've got anyone out there that just wanted some of the key contributors to be returning kicks. And so we see that on the depth chart. Uh, Brent Venables talked a little bit about it in his press conference today, talking about how Billy Bowman basically was begging for the opportunity to be a kick returner. He's listed as uh, the number one on that kick returner slot. Jaleel Farouk also there, Peyton Bowen third. And then from the punt returner perspective, you've got Gavin Freeman listed on there as the uh, the leadoff guy for returning uh, punts. So uh, I think 
that's definitely an area that Brent identified and said, hey, even if there's a two-yard average difference this year versus last year, he said, I promise you that makes all the difference in the world for how many points you're scoring at the end of the day. So he's not holding anything back. He's saying, yeah, we had five uh, games last year where we lost by one possession. So those special teams make a difference, and you can't play scared or coach scared as far mm-hmm. as who's doing those those returns there. So I love what, uh, what he's able to do in that return game. Well, that's going to lead right into my stock down, Adam, because that's still something that I really don't understand. We've had this debate, you know, going back to last year when Billy Bowman, your starting safety, got hurt in the TCU game, and we all know how that played out. But yeah, stock down for me, it's the it's the coaching decision for kick and punt returners. Now, I, I get I get what I get what Brent was saying, and I know that you want to have your best athletes, you know, on the field, and you know, coming off of a six and seven year, can you really afford to be picky uh, about some of the personnel choices that you make? But also at the same time, I just do not want to put our best, most valuable contributing guys what you know whether it is a Jalil Farouk whether it is a Billy Bowman out there with an opportunity where you've got guys running down the field 100 miles an hour because you know whether it's a big hit whether it's you know rolling an ankle whether it's taking out a knee I don't want to put those guys in you know any more of a position than they already are you know throughout the course of the game and but are you saying are you saying that those plays are just throwaway plays i'm not saying that they're throwaway plays but i'm saying that those guys to me are far too valuable to to put them in that position four or five times a game when so you've got other when you've got other elite athletes on the field like a uh, like a jaquez petaway like a hollywood smothers uh gavin freeman i can get behind that a little more a little bit just because he's probably a little bit further down the depth chart gavin salchuk is another one as well i just don't really like the idea of, of putting your Putting a starting safety or putting a starting running back um, back there um, returning punts or kicks. Because to me, I, I don't really see too much of a gain. And I know that there's probably a lot of statistical evidence that would prove otherwise, but I just don't see the gain why starting the starting with the ball at the 25-yard line, keeping your guys safe as opposed to you know Billy Bowman returning it to the 34. I don't really see that that nine-yard gain uh, you know, is a is a reward for the risk that it is by putting him out there. I can see it both ways, though. I just tend to lean on the side where I, I want to put. I don't want my best athlete out there uh, at that particular time. Now, if it's OU Texas, I, maybe, but not against Arkansas State or SMU or Tulsa. You don't need that. Yeah, well, well, that's 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 hard to put Billy Bowman in a position where all of a sudden he's going to start returning kicks against Texas and he hasn't done it for you know the first couple of games of the year. And and by by the argument that you're presenting here, it's almost like, well, why don't we just play Billy Bowman four fewer plays on defense because that helps mitigate injury risk too. And if OU gives up nine yards instead of seven yards because he's mm-hmm. he's not on the field, like, well, then that's not that big of yeah. a deal. Like, I feel like every yard matters here, especially on special teams because that just that's a momentum difference that gives you, you know, a better starting point. It helps your offense. It flips the field. Like there's so many different aspects there that I'm, I'm like, I, I just can't, I can't throw away that portion of the game because I'm scared of an injury there. Yeah. I mean, um, so I guess we'll, we disagree and we'll see, we'll see well, how that plays out. Like, I, I do. Maybe get it, it won't matter. I do get it. And you think about some of the elite punt returns that Oklahoma's had over the last 15 to 20 years. I mean, CD lamb, Ryan Broyles, Sterling Shepard, Antonio Perkins. I mean, those are guys that were, you know, probably some of the better players on the team as a whole. So I get where I get where that comes from because you know uh, we could put together a whole highlight tape of you know special teams plays where those guys made an impact on the football game. Um, it's just kind of one of those things where I saw it happen a year ago, and I don't want to put my best player in a position where he gets you know he he gets nicked up um, over you know returning a punt or returning a kickoff. Yeah, we'll see though. My. My walk the plank or, or stock down here is second year tight ends. None of them made the depth chart there. No Caden Helms, no Jason Llewellyn. I know those guys have battled injuries and, and they may not be completely healthy here, but um, man, it's just, a, I, I just, I'm not sure where the path forward is for these guys. They've already got Blake Smith ahead of them, Josh Fanul's ahead of them, Austin Stogner, obviously the starter there. And then you've got Cade McIntyre on the depth chart, true freshman. You've got Devon Mitchell coming in next year. So I just, if these guys aren't able to get on the field this year and at least get some experience and be able to solidify themselves in that rotation, I just, I don't know where they're going to play. Mm-hmm. I don't know where their, their role is on this Sooners team going forward, which is, it's sad. Cause I know they've both had a lot of injuries, things that aren't their fault that have kind of stacked the odds against them there. But I mean, if you haven't made an impact at this point, um, I, I just wonder like, when are you ever going to at some point? Yeah. So 
yeah, I've got them as my my stock down or my walk the plank for uh, for this week. Well, and I think that's the biggest question mark of all in offense, Adam. You know, you've got a guy in Austin Stogner. He's a veteran. He's got a proven track record of being able to make, you know, big-time plays both in the Big 12 and in the SEC. But then after that, you've got a lot of unproven commodities with a lot with basically no experience whatsoever. And I think you make a really good point. Uh, Devon Mitchell, he's coming next year Oklahoma stands in a really good position with the Roberts kid out of Washington Oklahoma you know he's a he's a top two or three tight end in the country as well for the class of 2025 so help is on the way reinforcements are you know going to make their way to Oklahoma but it does put you in a situation where if Austin Stogner were to were to go down and knock on wood right now because we know he's got the injury history where do you go from there both from a personnel standpoint some of the other guys in that room or does that force you know Jeff Levy to really kind of change the way that he runs his offense and the you know the way he's able to scheme against some of these opponents there there's no doubt about it the tight end is one of the most valuable weapons you have uh, as an offensive play caller in college football with some of the different mismatches and things that you're able to do and we just hope that uh, we just hope the Austin Snogger stays healthy but one thing that is going to be exciting watching the game this upcoming weekend we expect it to be a mismatch. It is a mismatch on paper. I think you're going to have an opportunity to see two or three of those guys, two or three of those backup tight ends, get some meaningful reps, and we'll see what they can do when the lights are on. Absolutely. Thanks to CrimsonCaptain.com sure. for sponsoring the podcast this year, and uh, make sure you go check them out at CrimsonCaptain.com. Now let's uh, talk about some of the big things, some of the fun things that we love about the opening game of the year. We'll go through our top three here. Three things that we love about uh, opening kickoff for the Sooners. Tyler, I'll let you go first here. What's your number one? Well, let's kind of work our way backwards here. Let, let's go. Let's oh, go. Three, let's okay. go three, two, one. And I just thought that this would be a good topic because I know, especially for us too, but any other OU fan right now, this is almost this is like Christmas. I mean, you've got you've got Christmas Day coming up here on Saturday. You know, you've waited two hundred forty something days for it to finally come back around. Number three for me, it's the campus walk, and I know everybody's got a different route, but depending on where you park, whether it's the duck pond, whether it's at a church, whether it's at Billy Bob's uh, backyard over, over off of ass, who, who knows? But I know exactly who you're talking th- about. That, that <laughs> early walk around campus, two, three hours before the game, you go through the tailgates, the food trucks, radio row, you crack open a beer, you walk down campus corner with a few thousand of your closest friends. That's just kind of one of those moments where you really know, okay, college football's back. It's go time to me. Just that walk with your buddies or your family uh, all throughout campus, you know, just kind of building up the suspense of kickoff uh, coming up here in just a couple of hours. You can't beat that, and that's going to be one of my uh, one of my favorite things when that day comes. I had that on here as well. I don't really have a particular order for my top three, but I had new season energy, and I think there's yeah. a, definitely a bounce in everyone's step as they're getting into the stadium. Everybody's a little bit ready for that first kickoff. Everyone's get you know wanting to be a little extra loud on all the boomer sooner chants and things like that. Uh, despite all the heat, we know there's heat. Everyone knows it's coming. Like hydrate now, Drink prepare it. for that. It might be too late. <laughs> <laughs> it might be too late. Um, and you know, there's going to be people be people that are complaining as if there was some solution out there. Like there's no solution for this. Water monster. That. <laughs> Water monster. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I had new season energy on there as well. Uh, so I'll bounce it back to you, Tyler, for number two. Number two for me, it's the pregame festivities inside the stadium. Everything from the warm up, the band, the schooner. Adam, you're the exact same way. We're the guys sitting in our seats an hour before kickoff. I know we're sick, but that's just the way that it is. You watch the team go through warm-ups. Then you've got the band, the first drumline sound, the dun-dun-dun-dun. And then the band yeah. comes out onto the field. Then you've got the schooner making their first run of the year. And all that stuff sets the mood and gets you fired up for kickoff. So those that little 50-minute range where you've got the players, you got the band, you got the ponies – uh, that, that's one of my absolute favorites uh, of the first game of the season. My number two, I'll rewind just a little bit. It's the drive down to Norman. And for me, I'm, I'm driving down from the Edmond area. So I have a long drive to, listening, to get down to Norman. Listening to the animal with Al and Jim. <laughs> I don't know that I'll be listening to the animal that much. Please don't. But, but I, one of my favorite things is kind of like, and you, you get this on the way to OU Texas for sure. It's kind of the camaraderie. You see the other cars that, you come up on they're, they're that dark red color and you're kind of like, yeah, we're going the same place. Right. Like it it's just kind of a cool feeling when you know that like the majority of the cars on I-35, like we're all going to the same place. And it's just kind of a, it's kind of a neat, neat feeling there. So I like, I enjoy the drive normal. That's kind of an every week thing, but 
uh, definitely appreciate it on the, the first week of the season. Perfect. Well, number one for me, I have a feeling it's the same for you. If not, uh, this will be a good discussion. Number one for me, the best part about the first game outside of the actual play on the field, it's the intro video. It's something that you you go back and, you know, I know a lot of diehard fans, we find ourselves kind of going back, especially over the course of this week, watching some of the old uh, old videos, what the graphic design department has kind of came up with. It's just kind of that moment where once the bells dong, once you hear that, okay, it's, it's go time, it's football time in Oklahoma. So, yeah, seeing the brand-new intro video uh, rolled out this upcoming Saturday at 10.58 is going to be a lot of fun. I should have had that as my my number one here. I didn't even think about that. I had new players as my my final. There one you here. go. Just because we we talk all the time about Jaquez Petaway or <clears throat> Peyton Bowen. I know we saw Peyton Bowen in the spring game, but we really haven't seen what these guys are. And so we'll have tons of opportunities to see that on Saturday, and we'll get to create these opinions, good or bad, that are set in stone based on one performance or a couple plays here or there. So. I'm excited to see a lot of these new players, and especially this year because there's so many new guys. There's, uh, in a good way, uh, a mm-hmm. lot of new faces that we're saying, hey, you know, we expect you to carry a, a heavy load here this season to really turn this mm-hmm. program around from what happened last year. So I'm excited for that for sure. Well, and plus, you go into week one, optimism is probably at a, at a season high. But before kickoff even happens, it's a clean slate. And especially, I think that this year, compared to, you know, many in the past, this is probably the most amount of, you know, uncertainty going into a season, both from a personnel standpoint, but also what are we going to get from this team over the course of the next three months collectively. Um, and I think that that's a lot of fun, you know, b- brings a lot of excitement and, you know, um, very, very excited about it. But intro video is number one. You, you got to put that in there. Well. I, I agree. I, I would change mine to, to intro video there. Now, earlier today, Brent Venables had his press conference. I think he went for 45 minutes or so. Didn't get a single question about Arkansas State. <laughs> so we will not overlook the Red Wolves, unlike the rest of the media in Oklahoma. Tyler, what uh, what should OU fans know about Arkansas State? We'll yeah. start on the offensive side. Yeah, we're going to touch on this briefly. Like I said, the, the, there's a reason um, why this team is the the way that it is. They've won they won three games last year, two games the year before, five in the last two years. That's not too good for Butch Jones, the head football coach for Arkansas State, and many Oklahoma fans. The reason why that name might sound familiar. He was the coach back at Tennessee at the time when Oklahoma went to Knoxville in 2015. He was the one that actually called uh, Eric Stryker uh, classless uh, in the, in the post game for some of the some of the antics. So, but again, talking Red Hawks offense, seven returning starters from a year ago. Uh, they had they averaged 25 points a game, 88 rush yards, 26 through the air. And even though this was an offense that was not particularly strong a year ago, one of the things that's going to make this game so compelling, especially for the Oklahoma defensive staff, it's the newness across the board for these guys. You've got a brand new quarterback coming in from the transfer portal in uh, JT Shrout, six foot three, two hundred fifteen pounds, played three years at Tennessee, transferred to Colorado a year ago, where last season he played in nine games before ultimately transferring to the Red Wolves. And then the biggest guy for for me, Adam, and this is a guy that actually. You know, he, he comes from the Division One Power 5 level, and that's redshirt junior wide receiver Courtney Jackson, the transfer from Syracuse, where he played in 36 games over the course of four seasons with the Orange, explosive playmaker, dynamic with the ball in his hands. Oklahoma needs to be aware of where number nine is on the field at all times. And, you know, Adam, I'm going to touch on this here in the offense a minute ago. It's not really what uh, Arkansas State has the ability to do. It's mostly about what Oklahoma uh, does on defense and how well they have the ability to execute. So I want to see this defense flying around, making plays, sacks, tackles for loss, interceptions, grit, toughness, physicality, the pillars that we've come to know from Brent Venables uh, as a coach. Get back to playing the standard of defense we expect at the University of Oklahoma. You got the confidence, you got the swagger, dominate the game, hold them to 14 points or less. We'll get to our predictions here in a minute. Make a statement is really the big thing that I've got for this defense. Make a statement. Now, I know that you can only make so big of a statement on Saturday because it is Arkansas State. It is what it is. But as a defense, you've heard all offseason how bad you were. Coming off of a 6-7 and seven year where, where you were ranked as a unit in the, in the 100s statistically in terms of total defense. You've heard all offseason about how bad your performance was a year ago. I know those players and the coaches on the staff take that personally, and I don't care that it's Arkansas State. Go out there on Saturday, beat their ass for 60 minutes, and let's move on to SMU. 
Yeah, the only thing that I would add to that is I, I do think Gentry Williams and Josiah Wagner are going to be probably where I'm going to have my eyes focused most of the game because I think they will certainly try to test those guys sure. with, with Courtney Jackson, like you mentioned, or Corey Rucker, a guy that was a all Sunbelt Conference performer yeah. wide receiver before transferring to South Carolina, then transferring back to Arkansas State after he had a, a injury-plugged year uh, in Columbia there. Kind of interesting that he – is back at his original school, just like Austin Stogner. And those guys are facing off against each other. And they were both mm -hmm. pass catchers uh, for the Gamecocks. So kind of, kind of weird how that worked out, but he's certainly a guy. I just don't know that like JT Shroud is a guy that is going to be able to get them the ball. He averaged 135 sure. yards a game for Colorado last year. So I just have real concerns there and along the offensive line for Arkansas state. So, but I, I'm sure they're going to try their best to try to test uh, that other cornerback position opposite mm -hmm. of Woody Washington. So, We'll see what uh, those guys have. Well, in one other area of focus, Adam, I think Oklahoma fans should be watching. You know, we've heard we've heard so much about the defensive line group, both on the interior and on the edge. I know the expectations are high with some of the guys that we brought in from the transfer portal. A couple of guys that are one year older in the system, but you you go look at uh, at Arkansas State's depth chart. You look at the five starting offensive linemen for this upcoming weekend. Every single one of them six three or better. Three of them are actually six foot five. And then you go down and you look at the weights, 311, 330, 350, 302, 315. This might look – this might be an inferior uh, opponent, but they're clearly going to have the size and stature uh, that Oklahoma is going to see you know, all throughout the regular season, particularly in, conf in conference. So I want to see how Todd Bates and Miguel Chavis' group, how they get after these guys, how they pressure the quarterback, and how they stop the run on Saturday. Go out there and make a statement, and uh, let's get this thing going. How about on the defensive side of the ball for the Red Wolves? What should OU be looking for? Honestly, not too much, Adam. You go back a year ago, 2022, this, this Arkansas State defense gave up 31 points a game, over 160 rushing yards and close to 250 uh, yards per game. They've got three returning starters in the secondary. I think if you had to say what the strong suit is for that Arkansas State defense, it's definitely the back end. You've got Trevian Thomas, Eddie Smith returning. Uh, they lost a couple of guys up front. Both interior linebackers are gone, so a lot to replace. But at the end of the day, this is a huge mismatch for Oklahoma across the board, but particularly in the trenches. We've heard a lot of hype. We've heard about the progression of this offensive line unit. You've got Rouse. You've got Guyton. Those are your two pillars out there at the tackle position. Savion Bird, from everything that we've heard, he's the light has finally clicked on for him. He's you know he's uh, poised to have another big season. Andrew Rames playing the best football. Uh, of his career going into this uh, 2023 campaign. Just go out there and execute. Just go out there, run your offense, play at a high level, play efficient, clean football. They shouldn't have to run trick plays or out-scheme this team to you know to, to score points on Saturday. Line up, do what you do, out-physical them, go hang half a hundred on them, and uh, let's move on from there. We went to Twitter to try to get some of the, hey, what do you yeah. think the story is going to be after the game on Sunday? And we got some good responses here. Okay, SoonerFan79 said, the relentless suffocating defense we were promised finally shows up. I, I think we will see it, but it'll look a lot like the UTEP game last year. And I don't think we'll know enough after this game to really say for sure, but I, I think we will see that. Uh, Boomer Bevo Pod said the secondary, best group since Roy Williams and Derek Strait. Woo! Uh, that's some high praise. We'll see. I mean, there's a lot of young guys here that are going to have to to live up to that billing there. Uh, Coop said Justin Harrington, named a starter today, named a captain. By the way, I, I really wish we'd just stick with the same captains all year. None of this game-to-game -game shuffling. But Justin Harrington, he's going to have maybe his biggest stage to finally say, hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm part of this team. I'm part of you know everything that's going to uh, help bring this defense back to be that suffocating unit. Mm -hmm. And so... We'll finally get to see if the hype's for real there. And then finally, Elaine Oberg said no injuries. And if that's yes. the storyline on Sunday, that would be amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that, you know, you guys make a really good point on Twitter. A lot of, you know, tremendous responses to the question that we poised. And, you know, Adam, I've said it. I've said it for the last three years. Usually after week one, it's never as good as you think it is, but it's also never quite as bad as what you see on the field. Um, so, again, I, I've said it for the last two or three months. We're not going to know how good this team is until Texas. That's just the way that I feel once because that's the team that's going to be able to close it as close to an athletic standpoint match up with Oklahoma uh, as we're going to see all year long. You know, coming out of Lincoln a year ago, we thought that this team was college football playoff bound. And then ultimately you go uh, you go two and seven in your final nine games. So uh, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to watch. Um, 
Adam, what's your, what do you think is going to be the biggest story coming out of this game for you when we wake up on Sunday? Good or bad, I think the story for me is interior penetration immunity hey, in the third quarter. And so what I mean by that specifically is when we're starting to see Devon Sears and Grayson Holton and some of those guys that maybe aren't listed as starters on the depth chart, when they start getting a lot of run, probably in the third quarter, before Arkansas State has taken out a lot of their starters, how do those guys look? And is there a drop-off from Jonah Laulu or um, you know Dejon Terry or somebody like that to a Grayson Holton? And so I think that's really going to be the the best way, just knowing the opponent here, the best way for me to measure is this defense actually better? Do we have that competitive depth, the buzzwords that we've heard over the last several weeks? Do we actually have that? And so that's what I'll be looking at a lot once we get into the second half. And that's the those are going to be the buzzwords for me uh, is what I think is going to be the biggest story when we wake up on Sunday. It is going to be the competitive depth. We've heard off see, all offseason about how Brent Venables and his coaching staff has continued to, to turn this roster over. They've upgraded both in the high school ranks but also in the transfer portal at some really key positions. You're going to see a lot of new faces, particularly on the defensive side of the football and with it being a hundred plus degrees on Saturday going against an inferior opponent like this you're going to see a lot of reps from a lot of different players and so the the big thing for me is seeing is there much of a drop off when you go from the first to the second string or even from the two to the three and I think that we're gonna we're gonna wake up on Sunday feeling really good about the uh, about the size the frame the athleticism that we have as a football team collectively and uh, yeah Leno Burke summed it up best. No injuries for me. As long as we win and there's no injuries, I'll be happy. Thanks, everyone, on Twitter for giving us your responses there. If you're not already following at the Mainline Pod, if you're not following us on YouTube, I'm assuming if you've made it this far in the podcast, you've already seen our hype video that we released the other day. Um, tons of people had already seen it. It's linked here in the show notes. Just click on YouTube in the show notes. It'll take you right to it, but make sure you're subscribed there so you don't miss some of those videos that we're putting out there uh, throughout the year. Let's get into our final segment of the night, probably the one I've been waiting for. We've been waiting for it for a long time to come back. It's our best bets of the week. This is the year. This is the, hey, Tyler, 0 for 3 so far uh, in the first three seasons of the Mainline Podcast, but this is the year that Tyler has a chance to redeem himself. Uh, I have the trophy. If you're watching on YouTube, you've seen it up here in the corner on one of my shelves. So I won it last year, but things uh, things can certainly change. So basically, we're just going through our five bets for the week uh, for uh, whichever games we like the most uh, as of the time that we are recording this. So Tyler, I'll give you the floor to uh, give us your first pick. Pick number one for me. We're going out to the SEC Rocky Top. Virginia traveling to Knoxville to take on Tennessee. The Vols are a 27.5 point favorite right now. I know there's a lot of question marks about Tennessee going into this upcoming year. No more Hendon Hooker. You're coming off of a 10 plus win season where you took down Alabama. Uh, Tennessee is not going to sneak up on anybody this year. They're going to get everybody's best shot. You've got Joe Milton uh, stepping in uh, as QB1 for the Vols. And I think that Josh Heupel is going to want to come out and make a statement in, in Game One. Virginia, uh, not a very not good, good. Fo- not a very good football team whatsoever. The twenty-seven and a half number uh, might be a little bit high, but I think Tennessee is going to want to prove a point uh, in Week One. I think that they're going to roll the Cavaliers. So give me the Vols minus twenty-seven and a half. I pulled one game off my card because it matched up exactly with yours. And so my first matchup here is two group of five teams that I put in as substitute. Two pretty bad teams here, Akron at Temple. I'm taking the under 56 and a half. Four out of the seven games here in week zero hit the under. I think those new clock rule changes combined with two pretty bad teams here, I think we can hit the under there on Akron versus Temple. Yeah. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about this. <laughs> that's the only thing I have there. It just seems a little bit high. Well, and plus week one's always the toughest one to bet because you don't know really anything about the current makeup of these teams going into this yeah. going into this upcoming year. So many year. changes. So pick number two for me, I'm going to the I'm going down to Fort Worth. TCU is welcoming in primetime Dion and the Colorado Buffs. There's been a lot of flash. There's been a huge. There's been a lot of light uh, on Colorado and Dion Sanders, but TCU favored right now at twenty and a half points. I would expect that number to continue to climb as we get a little bit closer to kickoff. But this is the weekend where Colorado fans get not get forced to come back down to earth. I know that Colorado has turned over the roster. They've got a lot of hype, you know, with a couple of different players on that roster. But at the end of the day, they were a one-win football team a year ago, and I don't care who they brought in as a, as a coaching staff. I don't care who they brought in collectively uh, as players. 
TCU's got far too much talent, far too much depth. So I think TCU is going to boat race Colorado on Saturday. So give me the frogs to cover the 20 and a half. My number two, I'm going to Texas State at Baylor. A game last year that combined for 49 points, but the over-under right now is 61 and a half. I'm taking the under here again. I think Baylor's going to be running the ball. I think heat is going to affect this game. I think coaches and players are going to want to make this one in a little bit sooner than uh, than it normally would. Mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of kicking myself for not picking Baylor as my Big 12 sleeper team because literally no one's talking about them. I know we're not as OU fans, so we're not even playing them, but... They almost just feel completely forgotten. But you know there's talent on that roster. You know Dave Aranda is a good coach. So I, I think they'll they'll be pretty solid. I think they have some things to figure out in game one, though. So I think it'll be a little sluggish to get started. I don't think 61.5 is a point total they're going to get to. Yeah, I like that as well. Pick number three for me. I'm going out to Pac-12 country. The uh, Thursday night game, uh, the, the college football gods were kind of good to us. We've got a couple of really good matchups to kick things off on Thursday night. Uh, this one's going to be Florida. The Gators traveling on the road to take on the Utes of Utah. Utah currently a six-and-a-half-point favorite right now. Big t- big year for Billy Napier down in Gainesville right now. A lot of expectations. What is, you know, is he going to finally now that he's in you know he's had two to three years of his own recruits come in he's got his guys he's got the talent what are they going to be able to do unfortunately Graham Mertz is going to be quarterback for Florida and I'm not sold on this kid I think that Vegas right now putting Utah as a six and a half point favorite they're baiting you to take Florida in that line especially with the uh, Cam Rising kind of being up in the air is he going to play coming off of the ACL tear in the bowl game but I'm going to take Utah at home to cover the six and a half. I couldn't touch that game with a 10 foot pole just because of the quarterback situation there with cam rising being injured. Uh, so for my number three, I, I went with the pack 12 here, but I'm going Washington state 11 and a half point favorite to cover at Colorado state. I think some people are saying Colorado state will be better. I, I do expect them to be better this year, but I also think Washington state will be a lot better mm-hmm. here. So this game uh, happened last year in Pullman. It's, it's being, being played in Fort Collins this year and Washington state was able to run away with that game by quite a bit. So I think Cam Ward's going to be, uh, he's going to flourish, I think in a second year there in, uh, in at uh, Wazoo. So uh, give me the, uh, give me Washington state Cougars there minus 11 and a half. Nice, nice. Pick number four for me. I'm going to the group of five, South Alabama, traveling down to New Orleans to take on Tulane. Tulane, the highest ranked non-Power 5 team in the AP Top 25 poll. They're currently a six and a half point favorite over South Alabama. Um, Michael Pratt's back. They're coming off of a big time season, 10 plus games, Cotton Bowl win over USC. Well done, Lincoln Riley. Give me Tulane to cover the six and a half over South Alabama. So, I had this game, but I'm going the other direction with it. South Alabama to cover the six and a half. I think the Jaguars actually win this game outright. Uh, South Alabama quietly 10 wins last year. Very solid team. A lot of returning starters all across the board, all levels of of both offense and defense. Mm. And Tulane, you know, coming off the high of winning the Cotton Bowl, doesn't have Tajay Spears anymore. I think South Alabama could potentially even be the team that we're talking about playing in the New Year's Six uh, Group of Five spot this year. So I'm really high on the Jags out of uh, out of uh, Mobile, Alabama. So I've got them winning this game outright and covering six and a half easily. That'll be a good one to, to uh, come back to next episode. Pick number. We'll see. I mean, I could be. I could be totally wrong. It's the first week of the season. That's oh, pick number five for me. Do I want to go with the home team in Norman, or do I want to go out to the side of College Game Day in Charlotte? Gamecocks versus the Tar Heels. There's one thing Do that it. if there's one thing that I know the last couple of years has taught me is that usually betting on Oklahoma games kind of gets me burned because I bet with my heart, not with my head. So for that reason, I'm going out to Charlotte. South Carolina is a two and a half point underdog going up against Drake May, Mac Brown, and the North Carolina Tar Heels. I think that the wrong team's favored in this one, Adam. I think that South Carolina. Uh, is going to kind of build on what they did to close out the back half of last season. Spencer Rattler uh, is another year older. I think South Carolina not just covers, but I would take a money line as well. They're going to beat North Carolina on Saturday night. I had that one too, and I took it off because you had it as well. And I was like, I want to gain ground on you if I can. And that I, what you're saying is 100% how I saw it. I'm like, I, that makes no sense. And so it almost felt too easy, like Vegas was trying to trick me and I guess the one thing that would have given me pause there was which Spencer Rattler are you getting? So I don't, I don't trust that. Um, So I went a different direction with my last pick. I'm going army at UL Monroe, two teams 
not not super great here. Um, it, there's not very many good games. It's hard to find a good game to, to bet on in week one. Um, but I'm taking the under, 47.5 military school. I know Army's yeah. going to try to open up their playbook a little bit more than they did last year, but they're on the road. It's the new clock rules. I think this game grinds out uh, quite a bit, and we hit the under there. So that's going to be my final pick for the week. Hopefully we're not 0-5. Hopefully none of us start off that way. Uh, but we shall see as we uh, get through Saturday. I think we have all Saturday ge- Saturday, mm-hmm. other than your Thursday game. I think we've got all Saturday games, sure. so no Sunday or, or Monday hangover there to to watch. Bonus pick here. Uh, I don't have the line in front of me. Florida State and LSU Sunday night. Who are you taking? I like Florida State. I just I'm I'm not as high on LSU as other people are. I don't think I am either. I don't think so. And obviously, you know, defensive tackle Mason Smith is going to be out for this game. But also at the same time, too, even though I picked Florida State to win the ACC, I just don't know. They've got a lot of new faces and some key pieces, particularly some guys from the transfer portal. Are they going to – is this game going to be too much for them? Um, but we'll see. Um, I'm going to be pulling for Florida State on this one. I think it's going to be a fantastic game. I think that's going to be the game of the weekend. Um, let's go right into score predictions, Adam. OU Arkansas State, 11 a.m., ESPN, Saturday afternoon, game one, team 129. Adam, who wins and why? So Arkansas State probably won't win. <laughs> I'll say that. They're bad. 45 to 10 is what my score is. I've got OU. Very similar score to what OU opened the year last year versus UTEP. I just think there's going to be a lot of heat, so I don't think this is going to be a game that lasts very long. I think OU runs the ball a ton. Mm-hmm. So I think it keeps the scoring down a little bit. I would say OU is kind of vanilla in some senses, but I think they're just going to rotate mm-hmm. a ton of guys in on offense to see what they got. And I think that... There will be some hiccups as newer guys see the field for the first time, and I think OU is kind of going to be okay with that, of saying, hey, we're not going to press the matter too much. We're going to yeah. test out going slower tempo. We're going to you know, just run the ball a ton to see what we got there and work in some of these new receivers as we go. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just think OU is going to be very comfortable and confident saying, hey, we can win by just 35, even though sure. – OU has the capacity to win by by much more than that. Well, the spread's 34 and a half, so 35 would be nice uh, for, for some of the players <laughs> making Help bets on that them. game. Yeah, for, for me, good teams win, great teams cover. And we've seen it in the past. Oklahoma struggle in some of these early non- non-conference games against weak teams last year. I believe they were only up 7-3 to three at halftime against Kent State. You don't ever see the Georgias or Alabamas struggle against these types of opponents. So do what you do kick their ass. Let's move on to SMU. I know that it's going to be hot. There's going to be a lot of rotation. A lot of guys are going to get snaps on Saturday, but I think Oklahoma comes out and uh, puts up 56 on them. And I've got the Sooners winning 56 to 13. I love it. Well, that's going to do it for us this week here at the Mainline Podcast. We'll be back next week to recap this game, to preview SMU, and to give you some more bets as we head into week two of college football. So until then, we appreciate everyone listening to the Mainline Podcast.